0: Welcome to the How Not To Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat, and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 106, and today's episode, Rise Strong. I'm talking about an acronym that I've been playing around with. So, we're going to try something slightly different. So, I'm sat here in my comfy clothes, feeling slightly sorry for myself because I've got a stinking cold, which I haven't had for a very long time and I wanted to share with you something that I'm going to be sharing in the book but I thought I would share it with you while it's still sort of being incubated in my head so kind of bear with me but Rise Strong is something that I've been kind of playing around with probably for about a month now because you know me with my tools and strategies I like to kind of come up with stuff that I think is easy to remember, easy to use, practical and I talk often about this analogy about what I believe is our role as parents and it's this this notion that our children are a building under construction and our role is to sort of initially it's about the foundations on which the, our children's building rises so we help them lay that foundation because as parents we're the CEOs of the you know creating the culture within our family So we lay this foundation and then our children's building begins to rise and this notion that the building that our children eventually create isn't one that we should ever seek to influence because we then shift from helping lay the foundations to being the scaffolding and so it's much more about us then being there to catch any falling masonry or any falling timber and we don't seek to alter the build, we don't seek to influence what the final outcome is, because we don't get to live in that home. Our children do. You know, it's their home and they get to be who they truly want to be. And in situations and scenarios where we where parents seek to influence that build and change it, you we end up with children who are living and inhabiting in a home that doesn't feel theirs, that doesn't feel right. And so it's really important that we remember that, that scaffolding takes an appropriate distance. So it got me thinking, you know, is there an easy way to try and remember that? And of course, the analogy of a rising building, I think in itself, is quite an easy thing to remember. But are there specific sort of things that as parents, we should always keep in the in the front of our mind to help us understand what will be crucial to make sure that as building creates this resilient adults that we often, that I often talk about, you know, we're working with the end in mind, we're talking about Raising the adult that we want our children to be rather than the child that we have in that specific moment. And this is where rise strong came up. So each letter of the word rise strong relates to something that I think we should keep front and centre in our mind. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we should be doing these each and every day, but we should be keeping them in mind in terms of how best to raise this resilient adult. So I'm going to talk you through what I believe those to be. Um, They may well change. They may well tweak. And that's why this is quite an interesting one, because we're kind of make I'm making it up as I go along. But I think hopefully it will be a really helpful way. And the reason why I chose the word rise strong, because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to help make sure whatever that building is that our children create, whether that's a basement flat, whether that ends up being a Georgian mansion, a terrace, a thatched cottage, um, a townhouse, whatever that ends up becoming. It's one that they want to inhabit, it's one that they feel is deeply who they are, and one where they can be these resilient adults. Let's start with rise, so that we can keep this, this motion. We're trying to encourage our children to kind of rise as their building rises, and then strong in terms of that resilience. So for me, one of the rudimentary, really important things that we should be doing with our children is about R, in terms of teaching them how to regulate their emotions. I've talked about this quite a lot recently in in talks that I've done at conferences and, and to parents, and I'm more and more convinced that this is probably one of the single biggest predictors of our children's emotional well-being and their resilience to mental health issues. It's all based on how they're able to regulate and experience emotions. So regulate is all about being able to understand that emotions exist all and that all emotions are valid. Regulation and dysregulation. So dysregulation is this notion that we struggle to manage those big emotions. The key to regulating emotions is not about not feeling it. It is actually about feeling the emotion and then n- being able to navigate the best course of action for you as you experience those big emotions. That's what we mean by regulation. There's two parts to it. It isn't simply, you know, a regulated child isn't a child who feels sad but manages the emotion. That isn't regulated. What's important is that they feel it, they experience it, they don't try and cut it short, they don't try and numb it with anything, they don't try and trade it with anything. And then they choose the most appropriate course of action. And I think this is a really crucial thing for us to understand as parents because our temptation. Is that we want to jump in when our children are experiencing really big emotions that we see pain and suffering in. I think as parents, when our child is angry, we want to kind of diminish some of that. We want to kind of minimize the disruption that it has. But I think it's normally when our children are worried or whether they're scared or anxious or nervous that we often want to kind of reduce that and we want to kind of quickly whip them out of that. It's almost like we get caught up in this notion of that's a negative state and I need to remove them from that negative state and swiftly move them on or dumb down how they're feeling. Not because we're insensitive people, absolutely not. It comes from a place of love, it comes from the position that we want to help our children, and we just don't want to see them in pain. So I think really keeping front and centre this notion that we have to, you know, a, a regulated child who becomes a regulated adult is someone that is comfortable sitting through difficult emotions understanding that it will ebb and flow and also then being able to choose an appropriate course of action for themselves and that might be removing them from that from the situations it might be about taking deep breaths it might be around reframing the way that they're seeing that particular situation and changing that internal chatter but it's really helping them do that and if you're listening to this podcast with really really young children keeping rise strong as that absolute front and center thing that you're doing will be a great way to kind of keep you focused let's let's talk to children about their emotions when they're tiny let's affirm them let's label them let's acknowledge them i can see that you're really angry i can see that you're irritated i can see that you're annoyed i can see that you're jealous let's use the full spectrum of words that we can have for emotions a lot of the research shows that quite often children have a very limited restricted vocabulary when it comes to emotions, so let's expand that. When our children are really young, let's teach it to them in the same way that we might teach them their letters and their numbers, how to ride a bike and how to swim. And if we're, you're listening to this podcast and you've got older children, it's never too late. Let's go back and make sure that this regulation of emotion is really crucial. And of course, as you know, what I'm about to say, children are much more likely to do what they see than what we say ask yourself, how do I regulate my emotions? When my child is dysregulated, does their dysregulation get met with my dysregulation? How can I make that shift so that their dysregulation is met by my regulated emotions? And we can model and move that. So R is for regulate emotions. I is for input. And this is about us being very mindful of the input that we're putting in for our children so it's this notion that every interaction leaves a trace brain is a muscle and it grows stronger with the, the sort of the more that we exercise it so every interaction that we have those interactions leave a trace now if we have an interaction with our child that is not the most favorable one that we've had maybe we've just not been in a good space and we've shouted at them or we've said something that we regret later that isn't to say that your that your child's brain has suddenly got some trace of mistreatment and that you've screwed up your children absolutely not but when we repeat the same pattern of behavior over and over again and they our children get the same Input from us, then it does leave a trace. So we're talking about the input that our children receive not only from us, but from friends, from family, from their surroundings. So it's being mindful of that input because that input affects their growth, you know, their growth and their expansion and how their building rises. So it's being aware and being very mindful of that input, not from a fear perspective, but just from an awareness. It's just really keeping that in front and center. So R is for regulate emotions. I is for input. S is for sleep. This is absolutely crucial. I cannot overemphasise how important it is that our children are getting the right amount of sleep. Now, of course, they're going to go through periods of time in their life where their sleep might be slightly off track, but we need to make sure that we prioritise sleep. Sleep has functions, and there are the two broad functions of sleep are as it helps it helps restore your body and it helps restore your brain. From the brain perspective, this is where our knowledge and our learning becomes consolidated, and when those neural connections get made, of course, during the day, our neurons are firing together, but they get wired when we go to sleep. So we consolidate our learning, and then our body is restored when we go to sleep. So our muscles are repaired while we sleep. Hormones are secreted while we sleep. So this is how our body recovers. And so it's really important that we prioritise and ensure that our children get enough sleep. So when we're talking about sleep, it's not just the amount of sleep that they get, but the quality and the transitioning that they have from their wakefulness to their sleep now sleep is part of a circadian rhythm so it's this basically a circadian rhythm is is something that happens within a 24 hour period so we have a, a time of wakefulness and we have a time of sleep we all have our own slightly individual circadian rhythm and you may well have heard about the whole notion of an owl and a lark so an owl is someone who's probably most alert maybe later on in the day, a lark is more alert earlier in the day. We will be naturally owls and larks and that'll be exactly the same for our children. So it's being able to recognise that you might have some children that are naturally more awake and alert early and then will naturally want to go to sleep earlier and that you will get some children that will naturally sort of want to wake later and will then go to sleep later. So you've got that inherent part and you'll probably begin to start working out from your children as they get older, what what kind of pattern they are. What we then also know is as our children go into those, I'm going to say tween, because when we think of teens, we typically think 13. But what we know is the brain goes through its second kind of redevelopment from the age of 10. So around that, and remember, we're talking about ages and stages, so it's not absolutely 10, it could be for your child, it doesn't happen till 11 or 12, but from around 10, their brain is then going through another restructuring. And what can typically happen is their circadian rhythm can be affected by up to two hours. The other way, so if you've got a child who would ordinarily be happy to go to sleep at half past seven eight o'clock will suddenly naturally their circadian rhythm won't want them to sleep for anything up to two hours later and they won't want to naturally wake up until two hours later we're stuck with the system the education system that we're in and if you're listening to this podcast and this podcast is global we've got downloaded in over 60 countries you may well be in a system where school kind of works around that, older children, their school day starts later. Unfortunately, if you're listening to this in the UK, we just don't have that flexibility and that's, that's how it works. So we need to just understand that that happens for our children. And then we just need to understand for us how we can best help support that change in our children so that we can make sure they still get enough sleep. The other thing that I would add in terms of sleep, just so that you understand, is that when we sleep, we have 90-minute sleep cycles where we go from a non-REM sleep into a REM sleep. So we basically go through light sleep into deep sleep and then we dream, but we do that every 90 minutes. So if you've got a child that's struggling with sleep and is waking up, they're likely to be waking up at the time that they're going into that light, more wakeful sleep that is potentially more possible for them to be disturbed. So just understanding that we've got these sleep cycles hopefully at least allows helps you just it makes it a bit easier for you to understand. If you've got a child that's struggling with sleep, go to this previous podcast episode where I've talked about it. What I want to do here is really talk about the acronym and what it means. and I'm happy if we get some feedback to kind of dive deeper into some of these again if I need to. So R is for regulating emotions, I is for input, S is for sleep, E is for exercise. It is really important that our children get physical activity. Now, obviously, there's a whole load of mental stimulation, which we'll come on to later, but it's really important that they have physical exercise outdoors. It's just such a crucial and important, it it's important for our brain, it's important for our mindset, it's important for energy focus. So it's have it being mindful that what we're trying to do is make sure that our children have a good relationship with their physical well-being as well as their mental well-being. Of course, in lots of ways, our, you know, when our children are at school, the exercise bit's taken care of. They have break time and play time, or they'll have PE or games or whatever your school calls it. But I think it's really important that we have conversations with our children around exercise and how important exercise is to their overall well-being and their overall health, because that's something that they want to, we want to take into their adulthood remember we're working with the end in mind and part of just a normal good well-being with us as adults is also having some form of exercise in our life from my own personal perspective when i was at secondary i've always been quite active and when i was at secondary school i literally signed up to almost anything so i was in the school gymnastics team and so I did gymnastics two days a week. I did trampolining another day. And I did athletics another day. So I almost every single day after school, I had a normal school day with all of the physical activity that you would get from that. And then I had these clubs every single day. But I hadn't made the connection between the importance of physical activity beyond school. So I was like this massively physically fit person and I have got quite a large appetite as lots of people will know who've been around me and so when I then left school and started work because I left school and started working immediately I didn't go to university until I was older I hadn't made that connection between the importance of physical exercise in terms of well-being I'd just done them from from a perspective of interest and love and passion but hadn't made that connection so I had a very steep learning curve in terms of understanding how important it was to exercise for my just my general well-being and so it took me several years after i left still eating huge amounts of food that would have fueled me for all the various different activities that i had and hadn't made that connection so i think it's you know i'm not talking about this from a perspective of weight management i'm talking about it from a perspective of well-being and being able to understand that actually in order for our brain and body to work optimally we need sleep we need exercise they go hand in hand so it's really making sure that our children have that exercise. And you'll notice that particularly if you've got children in school holidays, you want to make sure that you know we, we need to be remembering that that's part of their raising a resilient adult, adult is about making sure they also understand that's, that exercise is a really important factor. We've got RISE, regulate emotions, input, sleep exercise strong s is for silence and i'm guessing some of you go oh my goodness me mary han am i ever really am i going to get my four-year-old am i going to get my 15-year-old to do some silence let me explain it is really important in my view that children teens who then become adult need to be comfortable with the notion of periods of silence This does not have to be meditative. doesn't have to be a mindfulness practice, but simply that they are able to just be and not do. So when I did my mindfulness training, you know, you have the whole like, we are human beings, but we end up becoming human doings. So it's, that's the notion behind it. And silence could just simply be allowing them, you know, encouraging them to just have periods of time of just doing nothing. It doesn't have to be very long, but the reason why silence is such a crucial and important part is it helps our children and our teens be able to connect with that internal dialogue that they have rather than always running away from it rather than always trying to pacify it rather than always trying to avoid it because if you are aware of that internal dialogue and what it's saying and the narrative that it's creating you're then aware that that ebbs and flows that that in the same way as emotions ebb and flow that chatter ebbs and flow and i always remember this particular analogy on an app that i used to use that talks about this idea if you're standing on the side of a road and just imagine yourself standing on the side of the road where you live or if you live on a quiet country lane then just go a few roads visually a bit further up and just imagine that if you were to stand on the side of that road there would be times of the day where there would be quite a lot of traffic and the traffic basically are your thoughts so, there are periods of time during our day when we would notice there are lots and lots of thoughts. What tends to happen when we're anxious and we're ruminating and we're worried is rather than standing on the side of the road and observing, we tend to rush in after the cars. We rush after our thoughts, what we've thought about, you know, how rubbish we are or that, that somebody doesn't like us or we're not good enough at this. So, we race after that and that's where we end up becoming, you know, caught down this rabbit hole. Whereas, actually, if we could just stay on the side of the road, we would notice that whilst there are some periods of time when there are lots of thoughts and lots of cars, There are also times where there's not so many. You know, we see this notion of not that many cars on the road. It's reminding us that rather than chasing after the traffic, chasing after thoughts, getting caught up in that rabbit hole, instead if we can just be that's why we've got the whole silence thing. If we can just be, we will notice and we will observe that sometimes we've got lots of thoughts and sometimes we don't. And It's not about trying to change them. It's not trying to stop them, but it's just trying to observe them. It's that whole notion is can we step out of the road? Can we step back onto the pavement and observe rather than get caught up in traffic? So silence is a really good thing. And that silence doesn't have to be Complete and utter silence. Silence could simply be an appreciation of some um, music. It can be directed silence, but it's just being comfortable and familiar with periods of silence. So, S is for silence. T is for toxins. So, this is about being aware, actively and consciously aware of the toxins that may impact your child and your teens' thinking. Be aware of the toxins through tech, through social media, through poor relationships that they're having through the media just generally through messages that they're getting being aware this is not about we're never going to be able to eliminate toxins from our children's lives and you know when we're talking about you know food and um, and other things it's just being aware about what level of toxins is my child exposed to at the moment how is that impacting how they view the world how they view their relationships yeah how they view their self-esteem how they view their gender sexuality so it's really being aware that the all of these factors massively impact the adult that we're trying to raise so we are trying to be aware of those toxins we're looking at can we address maybe there's some some toxins that are coming in in terms of their view of themselves or their body image that we can have conversations around so we can turn that particular toxin around but it's so we can't eliminate toxins we just need to be aware of them so we can minimize them because You know, our children, every encounter, every interaction leaves a trace. If the level of toxins that are fueling in terms of their poor self-esteem, poor self-image, poor body image then that of course is going to impact on their mental health. So we want to be kind of aware of what those toxins are and then be able to have conversations around either eliminating them or changing the way that they view them. So it's that kind of reframing. So it's being really aware of toxins. R is reflect. You know me well enough. You've been listening to the podcast for long enough to know that I am a huge advocate of some form of reflective practice, whether that is for our children or whether that's for us. And it's not about me being dictatorial that children And teens need to have a diary, but they do need to be able to reflect back. And that reflection back may well simply be in a problem solving scenario where we talk through a challenge that they're having with a friendship or the challenge they're having with their schoolwork or challenges around them going up to bed at the right time. And they're able to reflect back on what is working, what isn't working, and what they might need to do differently. So don't kind of get caught up in this notion that reflect has to be about a written practice it can be and I do think that there's a there's a huge amount of merit in that but I'm also aware that that not everyone's able to access that or reliably do that when they're younger so instead it's just being aware of are we actively encouraging our children and our teens to reflect on the choices that they've made and how they might do something differently next time reflection as a practice is really important for us as adults but when we're talking about rising strong children whose buildings rise strong and become these incredible homes in which they inhabit then reflective practice is a really important aspect of that. So we've got silence, we've got toxins, we've got reflection. O is really looking for opportunities for growth, and this goes back to a lot of the things around goal setting. You know, are we actively encouraging our children to look for opportunities for growth? You know, this is where I'm at. This is where I'd much rather be. We don't. Children don't necessarily. Teens don't say it in that in that way, but we often have conversations with them about things that they would like to be able to do. So it's really encouraging them to actively look for opportunities to grow it's the whole growth mindset notion that the brain is a muscle just like any other muscle in our body the more we exercise it the stronger it becomes so what opportunities are we looking for for growth because our children will always say that they want to be able to do x and y and they wish they were more this and that and we can reframe that Away from it being a negative that I, I'm not able to do that. So-and-so is much better at me than that. But really encouraging them to think, what are some of the things that really matter to you? What are the things you would like to do? And how can we look at it as an opportunity for growth? It may be that you've got a child that wants to climb a mountain. It might be a child that, that wants to do run a marathon or a half marathon. It might be a child that wants to play, be able to play a music instrument. might be able to want to do stunts on a skateboard. It's something that matters to them rather than necessarily matters to us. Maybe it's a child that wants to feel more comfortable in a social situation. So it's really looking at it and using that kind of language around. It's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for you to practice being the person that you imagine yourself to be. That's what's so incredible about this is it? it's really encouraging them to see, rather than worry about perfection, rather than worry about being able to do something, you know, I can't do this now, so I can't try it. It's much more a case of when we're talking about opportunities for growth, it's really looking at ways that our children can practice stepping into the character, stepping into the person that they want to become and being aware that in that practising process they're likely to make mistakes things are not always going to go to plan but failure is all part of growth so o is opportunities for growth n is for novelty and this is that as human beings we actively seek new challenges novel situations and those are the things that fire and then eventually wire our neurons together so it's encouraging our children not to get too staid and too familiar but to themselves in that novel situation It's different from an opportunities for growth because opportunities for growth are, are often around building on some skills that we've already got. Novelty is about being inquisitive and inquiring about new things, things that are not currently on your radar, things that are not currently within your repertoire of skills, but actively seeking something new to try. And I think that that novelty one is a really important one. It's one of the areas that has been looked at in terms of older adult aging brains is that when we continue with novelty when we learn new things and we try new things it helps keep our brain healthy and novelty can be as simple as being if i'm right-handed every now and again i'll try and brush my teeth with my left hand we're not talking about some kind of incredibly novel but it's just about doing things wouldn't ordinarily be exposed to as part of your day-to-day so n is for novelty and then g is for gratitude. Gratitude is such an important jigs- piece of the jigsaw when it comes to our mental health, when it comes to taking care of ourselves emotionally. And the reason with, with gratitude is that it encourages us to actively seek out and reframe our experiences, so it's really important that we, when we're talking about children that rise strong, is that we instil a process of gratitude, and gratitude is simply a being able to recognise the very small things within a day that we are grateful for, the sunshine when it's break time, the the smile from a passerby, um, you know, your favourite lunch or breakfast, yeah, you know it's it's the really really small things that make all of the difference when it comes to gratitude and that's a really important thing and I personally that gratitude is best done in the evening before bedtime and the evidence shows that it needs to be written the um, significant effect the positiveness from it the what, what you get the improved well-being doesn't come from us verbalizing what we're grateful for but actually comes from what we've written down that we're grateful for so that's a kind of a really important thing and I hope that this has been quite an interesting thing because it's, I've never done this before where I've kind of talked about something that I'm currently working on and thinking and it's sort of helped me even as I've been talking about it I've got no notes whatsoever normally when I record a podcast episode I've got some notes and um, in front of me of some main points and all I've literally got is my what, what I've written down each by each letter so that's really helped me crystallize but hopefully also helped you when with when you think about my analogy of this building that rises which is our children and why then we're talking about making sure that that building rises strong because it comes from these components that are you know these these sort of 10 codes I don't know I'll play around with the wording for that but you know these these sort of 10 things are really crucial in terms of that building rising strong so my give this week is going to be these 10 sort of focus points that we need to have when it comes to building rising strong we'll have them on a checklist so that you can see what each letter stands for and then a, a little space underneath so you can make some notes it can serve as that reminder maybe helps you kind of crystallize and it will be in the book and probably will have a few tweaks here and there so All you need to do is head over to my free resource library, drmaryhand.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access, not only to the Rise Strong resource, but all the other free resources across all my other podcast episodes. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it and obviously be eternally grateful if you could follow, rate and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So until next time. What is One Million Moments all about? We know prevention is better than cure. Children who feel connected, heard and understood are less likely to struggle with their mental health. One Million Moments is all about seizing opportunities to connect with children, moment by moment, day by day. Head over to our website, 1millionmoments.org that's o n e millionmoments.org and join the initiative join the campaign and help us positively impact 1 million lives